0: Good morning. Glad to be here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is David Mailer. I am one of the elders and taking my shot this week to preach. Uh, I want to say thank you to Scott. Uh, I'm always reminded on these weeks that I have to preach, the weeks leading up to it, just how much time and intensity that it takes. And so thank you for faithfully doing that every week. Um, We're grateful for you and the truth that you bring um, and I'm grateful to the congregation for allowing me to stand up here and and hopefully faithfully deliver God's word. Um, I always enter this a little bit more anxious than I do my Sunday school class, uh, and probably rightfully so to some extent, uh, but the the question that kind of always comes into my head, and I'll probably walk off the stage when I'm done and I'll ask Aaron, I'll say, did, was that coherent? Did, did it make any sense? It, I'm always a little bit nervous about whether I'm able to make the point that I'm trying to without tripping other people up. Uh, with that, uh, what other thoughts may be going through your head? And so that's kind of where my anxieties lie. And, and she'll say, your job's just to get up there and preach, and God's going to take care of what he's going to do in the hearts of people. So let's pray, and uh, just pray that God speaks this morning. Father, we come before you grateful for your kindness, for your love for us, your love to us, infinitely demonstrated in Jesus. And I pray that as I speak this morning, that it would be your truth and your words that go forth and your spirit that's working in the hearts of the men and women and children in here today. Um, Get me out of my own way. And I pray that as we walk out today, that our, our affections, our love for you would be increased and it would Drive us to a place of passion for obedience to the glory of your name. Let that be our heart, your glory. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to give you a spoiler. This is about discipleship. If you've probably talked to me, you've been in my Sunday school class, obviously, the last couple of weeks. This is something that has been... Um, on me for quite a while. I've been reading about it, studying about it, trying to, like just my own process of discipling other people, discipling myself over the last couple of years, just reading and trying to figure out what that process looks like for me. And and also, as being an elder, I think about it for the church. Um, We often think about the will of God for our lives individually, whether that's jobs or marriages or where we live, Uh, but also think about it in context of the church. Part of our Our job is to lead the church, and so I think, where does God want us to go, what is he wanting us to do, and obviously scripture speaks clearly on a lot of those matters, and I think discipleship is one essential aspect that we really need to focus on, uh, because I think what it's going to do is drive our affection for Jesus, and everything else that we do is going to flow out of that relationship. Your relationship with God has to be the most important thing in your life, and then Whatever else we do is going to flow from there. And so I'm going to back up a little bit before we get into discipleship, and I'm going to bring us back to the beginning, all the way to the beginning. All right. John 1, 1 through 4, I don't know, yes, it worked, wasn't sure, they disappeared right before church, <laughs> wasn't sure if they were going to be there. So I'm going to throw all the scriptures that I'm going to hit today, they're going to be up there, hopefully, there's a lot of them, and so that's why I want them up there, is because we're going to hit several, um, as we kind of... Go through a little bit of a survey of through scripture, but what I'm wanting to do is <laughs> for the, the cliche that it is now, I want to stir your affections for Jesus. I want you to be in awe and glory and, and uh, just amazement of who He is and what it is that He has done. And so we start with John 1 1 through 4. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, so this is Jesus, right? Genesis 1, 1 through 3. I'm sure you've connected these verses. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was without form, and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So by the power of his word, God created everything in existence, things that you see and even things that you don't see. He spoke, and there was light. There was the sky, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals that crawl along the ground, the trees, the plants, all of it. And he said that it was good. It was what he intended it to be. And then we get to Genesis 1, through 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He, in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It's beautiful. By the power of God's word, he created everything perfect in harmony, and peace, shalom, and it was very good. There's man living in the, in the garden, in the presence of God, walking with him with the mandate to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it, to cultivate the earth, to bring it in line with the glory of God that it would manifest God's glory in the universe, So man lives out his reason in honoring and glorifying God and enjoying that relationship. And then we get to Genesis 3, which I'm not going to go through the whole thing, which is why it's not up there. But you know the story. Satan comes, the serpent comes in, and he spins a lie, and he deceives because he was cunning, and he still is. And he whispers in man's ear, did God really say, Why would he keep this from you? Isn't he really afraid of you? Afraid that you will be like him? You know that you can be like him. All you have to do is take and eat. And so man did. And so we did. We betrayed the king, the ruler, the sovereign of the universe, and we did what we wanted. Tried to replace the imago Dei, the image of God, with our own image. And so, with the lust of the eye, the desire to be made whole by something outside of God, very life itself, for safety, security, for control, for peace that we're going to hold on with our own iron grip, making it as if we are the point of all creation. We find ourselves just full of pride and envy and strife and greed and gluttonousness, Fearfulness, slothful, full of wrath and judgment for others, for self. Feeding the desires of our heart and chasing after the desires of our stomach. Ephesians one or Ephesians 2, 1-9 tells us, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So my Bible study group, my discipleship group that I have, we went over this verse probably over a month ago now, and something just kind of hit us in this that I hope you hear it, right? Sons of disobedience following after the prince of the power of air. Living in our own passions, our own flesh, we're carried away by those desires of the body, those elementary principles of the world, our heart and our mind captured by the deceit of Satan. So much so that even our indifference towards God, our apathy towards the things of God is satanic. It's following after Satan. Following the prince of the power of the air. our indifference towards God. No one stands at the Grand Canyon or sails across the ocean and is indifferent, yet we look at God and somehow we're apathetic, indifferent. So yes, humanity, children of wrath, like everyone, we deserve that wrath, we deserve the death that is our sentence, the condemnation. Romans two 5. we've read this, right? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is what we deserve. This is who we are. God's wrath poured out, and he is right and just for doing so. So it seems pretty bleak. It's dark. We find ourselves in the most dark situation that could ever be dreamt of. We've assumed the sovereignty of God in our own life and in the world. We've betrayed Him, committed mutiny towards Him, and somehow expect to live an abundant life apart from life itself. Because we've decided to follow our heart into the pits of hell. So here we are. Darkness again covers the earth. The soul of man is void. No righteousness dwells within him, only darkness all the time. But it's not what God wanted. It's no longer very good. He's not content to leave us to suffer the wrath. Isaiah 9-2 The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 6 and 7 from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God, full of mercy and grace and love for you, took action. He engaged, he sacrificed, and he laid it down for you. John 1, 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God becomes flesh. The glory of God, God himself, becomes flesh and condescends to be among us, to be one of us. And there's this beautiful mystery in Jesus, that he is fully God and he is fully man. He suffered all of the things that we suffer and go through, yet majestic as God. He's great in humility, and he sets aside a position of greatness, the position of greatness, while still remaining great. He put on the flesh to be like us, filthy sinners, rebelling against our creator. He enters humbly into the world as a vulnerable baby. His first bed was a a feeding trough in a barn. He experiences the humiliating and humbling experiences that we go through in growing up striving with fatigue and hunger and tolerating people's ignorant and flawed thinking, being tempted in every way, yet remaining faithful, remaining perfect and unblemished. In every thought, intent, word, and deed, he remained faithful to God, and he sought after God's will. And then, all of that, he decides to set it aside and lay it down for you. To the death. All of his comfort, all of the honor, glory, and majesty that he should just enjoy forever, he sets aside not because he seeks equality with God. It's not something to be grasped, pursued for him, but through faithfulness and through his obedience to God's will, he lays it down so that you could be reconciled to him. And into the darkness of Sheol, into the grave, he goes into the darkness that we created by the sin in our lives. So again, it's dark. He goes into the grave, and then a beautiful light dawns. Resurrection, life, and life is his. Eternal life is his. He rules over life and death, and it belongs to him. And then he just invites us in to follow him into life, into the light, to be swallowed up by it. So that's Jesus. So who are we? Romans tells us that we are dead in our sin, but Jesus brings new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. In Christ, the rebellious man has been put to death, and a new creation has come. Yet your identity is still in the image of God, still in created, created to display that Imago Day, to honor him and to glorify him. It's the same, as in Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You were created in the image of God. You are an homage. You are a work of art, meant to point back to him, to display his honor, his glory, and to worship him. To put on display his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his justice, and his love. He says, subdue the earth, have dominion over it. This doesn't mean our goal is to be dictators over the earth. Rather, to bring in all of creation into align with the will and the glory of God, as an image bearer of God. And this has to start with ourselves, our own hearts, our own lives. By exalting the Father in every aspect of our life. So, you are to be fruitful and multiply. Multiply Christ first at home, in our own lives, and in this building here. And then to the lost, to be reconciled to God. That we might all be mature in Christ. Be all grown into maturity into the image of God, this is our purpose. The Westminster Larger Catechism states, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. That's what you're made for. To glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. That's a very broad statement and doesn't have a lot of specifics in it. It sounds quite expansive and exhausting in some ways. It sounds like everything. It sounds like a life completely swallowed up in God, a man given over to the only passion that's going to bring life and flourishing to himself and those around him. A life devoted to God's majesty and glory. And for sure, it's going to have our worship in it. I think that's the first thing we think of when we think about glorifying God. We want to speak his praises and sing his praises. I think it's that in addition to that, probably fueled more by our communion with God, our relationship with him, our time in prayer with him, together, individually, our time in the word, meditating on it, reflecting upon it, considering what it has for us to do to respond to what he's speaking to us. Living a life guided by the Spirit, informed by the word of God, and cultivated and pruned in and among the family of believers. It's our purpose as a church, corporately, to worship and to glorify God. And we do that when the motivations of our hearts and then the actions of our hearts are driven by love. First, the love of God for us, and then overflows into our love for others. We glorify God as we minister and we serve the church. We serve one another, the body of Christ. And that's going to look a lot of different ways. It's going to be meeting felt needs, right? Food, clothing, housing, emotional needs, walking with people as they're hurt and they're lonely, checking on people, even if they don't want it. Because we love them, we check on them. And it takes time, and it takes sacrifice together. I'm going to look at a few verses here, and we're going to go through these. These are big verses, uh, but we'll go through them quickly, and then I'm going to hit some points from them. Acts two forty two through 47. So I want you to think about what is it that the church is doing? What are we called to do as we read through these verses? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then Colossians three fifteen through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, So here's a few things that I see in these verses. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit and devoted to prayer and thanksgiving and rejoicing. I think there's probably no better practice or discipline that we should be driving, striving, working toward than our time in prayer. It is our opportunity to engage with God in a way that is different from any other. not decreasing the value of Scripture at all. But you need to be speaking to God. You need to be seeking His wisdom and His guidance through His Spirit, and His Spirit will work in you. We must devote that time. The scriptures also point to the fact that we are to be devoted to the teaching of God, to the Scriptures. Study it, to live by it, and to teach it. To teach and admonish. Who? One another. One another. We're also to submit to one another out of our reverence for Christ. So this is a big deal. And I think this is something that we kind of slip into just like casually. We don't think about it. We're given the mandate here to admonish and teach one another. And I think we kind of default it to people who are teaching Sunday school classes or preaching, but it was the church that is, it's it's you guys that are admonishing and teaching one another and submitting to one another Why? Out of reverence for Christ. I can tell you there's been recent times where I didn't want to show up to something, but out of reverence for Christ, and because my wife told me to, (laughs) I showed up, uh, and for my good. But my heart doesn't always tell me what's good for me. So because of Christ, we do what we're called to do. Our conversations, the words that come out of our mouth—it sounds like they should be full of scripture, psalms, spiritual songs, hymns. I just wonder sometimes if, if our language, my language, doesn't get away from me in intent and content, that the words that I speak would always be shaped by the things of God, by the Word of God. By the songs that we sing, doesn't it kind of raise the bar on the things that you sing? That lyrics matter, words matter, but that should be the language that we use. And it doesn't always have to be an exact quote, an address from Scripture, but for sure it has to be the truth of Scripture that's coming through. And as those truths get into our hearts, they should overflow out of our mouth and then That that's in our heart should overflow into our well-doing and how we interact with people and how we pour into other people. In the name of the Lord, full of thanksgiving, it should overflow into how we live. So here's my exhortation to you: go and minister, go and serve the church, serve the body, build the church up from the inside, strengthen the bones, build that structure. Make sure that your family, to your left, to your right, in front of you and behind you, is healthy. And when they're not, help them. Meet the felt needs. Spend time together, play together, come together. But don't forget to take time, devoted time, to pray together, to study together, to talk about the things that are on your heart, that are weighing you down, that are tripping you up, that are distracting you from Jesus that are pulling your life apart, pulling your heart apart. Exhort, admonish, teach one another, challenge one another to obey the word, and spur one another on to good works. Worship together, give thanks together, glorify God together. I'm saying together a lot, and I'm saying it on purpose. It's gonna take time together. It's how you know, And it's how you are known by the people in this room. And it's how you know and are known by God when you spend time with him. Otherwise, you will not know God more deeply. And the people in this room, you will not know more deeply unless you spend time. And it's going to take effort by us. David Platt, uh, he wrote this crazy book called Radical. And he states in there, If the Son of God thought it necessary to focus his life on a small group of men, we are fooling ourselves to think that we can mass-produce disciples today. God's design for taking the gospel to the world is a slow, intentional, simple process that involves every one of his people sacrificing every facet of their lives to multiply the life of Christ in others. And I love that last line, multiply the life of Christ in others. When we hear multiply and discipleship, we often think it's numbers, it's numbers, it's numbers. I want Christ multiplied in my life. And before we add any numbers, I want to multiply Christ in your life. That's what we want to see done. The church is a beautiful gift from God that we are called to go deep into relationship with. That's definitely going to take some bravery on our part, some intentionality, You're going to have to build. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to initiate and engage. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when you think no one wants you to. Even when you feel like you have nothing to offer or to give. We are to glorify God as how we love one another. This is our purpose. It's our mission. It's our motivation. And he tells us that this is how we glorify him and enjoy him forever. Follow him be like him, and love like he does. 1 John 4.10-11 uh, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but, rather, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the motivation that drives our purpose, the love of God. This is why we glorify God, because he is good and he deserves it. This is how we accomplish our mission as well. Jesus pulls off the greatest feat of all time and in all of the universe by living a perfect life, going to the grave, conquering death, raising from the dead in order to glorify God and restore you back to relationship with God. And after all of that, after his resurrection, he goes and talks to all of his disciples. He's seen by... So many people, he tells his disciples to go to Galilee and he meets them there. And I think we assume it's the 11, which it may be, but it may be 489 more people as well. I don't think I did my math right. He has has appeared to 500 people that we know of in one time. And so he comes to them and he gives them this mandate, the Great Commission. So I know when we hear the Great Commission, we think evangelism, don't turn your brain off just yet, listen. The creator of the universe has saved you, and it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here he is, God in the flesh, dead, resurrected, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and this is what he tells his disciples to go and do. So we're going to boil it down to just a few words. Go. Go. Make disciples. Build my church. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna do the work. Just go. This is our mission. What it's not, it's not an easy believism. It's not, these are the six doctrines that you need to know. Agree with me, you're in, and now Jesus God can't punish you for your sin anymore. That's not what He's calling. It. That's not what the disciples were called into. That's not the life that Jesus led. It's more than that. It's more dangerous, it's more costly, it's more exhausting, and it's more satisfying. It is sacrificing your physical, your spiritual, your emotional life. Swallowed up in Jesus, devoted to him in prayer, in communion with God, devoted to the scripture, to be shaped by it, to be changed by it, not just for mere knowledge accumulation so that you can repeat it, but that it would transform our hearts so that we could be transformed from one degree of glory to the next in order that we might magnify the glory of God, that we might enjoy him. That abundant life that Jesus talks about, it's by following him. It's not by following what you want. It will deceive you and it will destroy you. And part of that obedience So much of it is devoting your life, sacrificing your life for the people in this room. Because we're knit together. We're bonded together by the blood of Christ. We are family. There is one faith, there's one body, there's one baptism that we are all in together, and he is the head. You are part of me, and I am part of you, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, we are of the same body. You are my body, and I love you because you are mine, because you are his, and because he loves you, and I am his, and he loves me. We are bonded together. We are obligated one to another, devoted sacrificing for one another. And in that, always extending grace whenever we fail. And we will. And we do. And this only takes place by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, to this point, we've spoken about the identity of Jesus, our own identity in Christ, our purpose, and our mission. And so now, I'll leave us with a little bit more direct of what our goal is. And I think each one of these kind of builds on the other and drives one another But our goal in this mission is the same as it was for Paul in Colossians 1:27 through 29 To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery Which is Christ in you? The hope of glory Him we proclaim warning everyone teaching everyone with all wisdom That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone in all wisdom, that we might present everyone mature in Christ. This is the goal, that we would all be mature in Christ. That our lives would be fully devoted, glorifying God in everything that we do, every breath we take, every thought we think, every word we speak, every action that we do would be for the glory of God. So we give ourselves over for our brothers and sisters in this room and for those who are outside of the faith that God is calling to himself. We sacrifice, struggling and toiling with all of his power. And it's not going to happen just by showing up today, showing up Wednesday night. It's time, together. It happens when we decide that Jesus is the most valuable one in all of the universe and that his glory is worth our very life. And we devote everything, our time, our talents, to make sure that everyone in the room is maturing Christ, at least moving in that direction it's going to take hours and hours of your days, of your weeks, of your years sacrificed to that end. Time devoted with a few in prayer, in study, helping one another walk in obedience, see the blind spots that we have. It's going to require confession and repentance on a very personal level. And so you have to be honest with yourself and honest with other people, two things that none of us like to do. It's going to require having dinner in other people's homes, inviting people into your home, going on vacations and game nights and backpacking trips and bike riding and bear hunts, all the things that we do. (laughs) It's going to require sitting with somebody's kids while they go to the hospital for an emergency or to see a baby born. It's going to require mourning with people as they lose a loved one, as we inevitably lose loved ones in and among our own body. And again, it's going to be extending grace when we fail. It's going to take time, intentional time, devoted time to God, devoted time to one another. And so as we disciple one another, as we build one another up in the faith and in maturity, and make sure that we're all taking steps on that road of maturity, it's just a simple step to invite those who are far from God into the life that we are already living. And there's plenty of opportunities for that. You go to your job every day. There are people who are far from God. Even if they claim Christianity, often they're not following. You invite them in. To your gym, to the mountain bike trail, even in your own home, you invite people in every day. We invite them in, we love them, and we make disciples. I'm going to call the worship team up as I close. And I'm going to leave you with a few questions. Discipleship, disciple making, I think discipleship is a component of disciple making, if that makes any sense. But it's an essential component to our own sanctification and the sanctification of everybody in this room. And it has to be a give and take between us. And it's going to start with ourselves. And so with every endeavor, you need to be in prayer. And so I want you to pray about this as you go home tonight, this week, and think about a few questions. What does your prayer life look like? Do you devote time to praying, to getting into the deep things in your heart and in your mind? What's your devotion to the teaching of Scripture? What does that look like? What does your intentional, on purpose obedience to God and His Word look like? Do you know how to do the things that we've talked about? Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to study the Word? Do you know how to pick out the truths of Scripture and apply them to your life? How will you or how are you seeking to grow in your own discipleship? Who can you infest in to disciple? Who can you ask to invest in you to disciple? How would you disciple someone? How do you do it? So as you pray, I'm going to leave you with one last question because I think when I preach something like this, often it feels overwhelming to me to think about, go make disciples of all nations. So think about this question. What is mine to do? No more, no less. What does God have for you to do with what you've heard today? What is mine to do? Pray through it. Meditate on it. I think often the responses either come one of two ways. I have nothing to offer. It's not my responsibility that belongs to church leadership or it belongs to a good Christian or just anybody else, not me. Or the opposite is I see an endless list of things that I need to accomplish and I never quite get to what is for me to do and do it well. So do what is yours to do and leave the rest to God. (laughs) Seek him in prayer. Seek to walk in obedience in the fellowship of this room, of these people. They are your family. Go make disciples, be discipled in this church and then invite people in to the fellowship. This is what you were made for to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let's pray.